Wait, 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 wait. You're saying you work with herpes in your lab and you come home and you work with your beer. Is that right? Yes. Welcome to the YTY Show, where all the questions you've never asked will be told as the stories you've never heard. Hey guys, welcome to the second episode of the YTY show. I am happy that you've actually been able to listen to the first one and you've come back for the second one. This is going to be a super, super interesting talk between me and this guy called Josh. He works with the UIC, he works in a virology lab, and he knows everything about virology and everything about beer brewing. Thankfully, he doesn't mix both of them. But of course, in this podcast, we have talked so much about beer brewing, what are craft beers, the process of brewing itself. Um, we actually went ahead and talked also about how Benjamin Franklin was high on cocoa spirits and is there a possibility of beer brewing with herpes. All right, enjoy the show. Hey Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you for having me. So, to the listeners out there, you know, let us just, can you please give me a small brief intro about yourself? Yeah, yeah, so... Um... I guess I'm here in Chicago at the University of Illinois, Chicago, studying viruses. Before this, I studied in a plant pathology lab mm-hmm. in at Kansas State University. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of traveled around the, the United States as I grew up and such. And um, I have various hobbies. I'm interested in fitness, uh, interested in, in food here in Chicago, lovely food culture here. And... Um, like since I've gotten here, I've I've been able to set up uh, what we came here to talk about my my brewing uh, hobby. So that's kind of what I got into lately. Great. So I mean, because you brought it up, uh, you say you 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 brought up the Chicago and we are brewing together. And I think currently we are in a city which is like the motherland for craft beers. If I'm not, I'm not I don't say motherland, but then like the hub, major hub for craft beers. If I'm not wrong. Yeah. So um, as far as craft beers go, I think that for the Midwest. Chicago is the best place you can be if you're a beer lover. So uh, right now it's been exploding with a lot of beer festivals. Uh, a lot of the major craft breweries from the coasts have been opening, like so like Lagunitas. Mm-hmm. They've been opening their facilities up here in Chicago or moving their operations. And a lot of opportunity here as a brewer. So um, I think that Chicago is a great place to be if you want to experience this new like American beer wave that's occurring. Right. So, I mean, uh, just for the listeners to understand, I mean, can you explain what craft beer is and what is craft beer? I mean, are they even related? How do you, what is well, the terminology? Yeah. So, um, usually when you just talk about a, a beer, so you're talking like your big ones, Budweiser, Bud Light, um, we're really just talking about the scale of those beers. So those like when you when you drink a Bud Light, it, it, there's there's like thousands and thousands of gallons of this made and um, adjusted by professional tasters to make sure that they can blend the batches to always taste the same. And those are not craft beers. Then you have uh, craft beers, which is actually I, uh, I believe the the number on it is twenty five hundred gallons or less of a particular brew. Okay. So it's it's much smaller batches. You can control it more, and um, generally that is what allows you to use better ingredients because mm-hmm. you don't need as much of it. It allows you to be more attentive and put more love into that particular beer. And then then there's there's micro breweries, which is like when you go into a restaurant and they say we brew our own beer. 
So usually that number is even smaller, though there isn't really a set number to the best of my knowledge. But you, they might be brewing in the ballpark of like 200 gallons of okay. that beer. Yeah, it's, it's surely the scale. Okay. So as you scale up, um, of course, like I mean, like with restaurants, like if you buy a burger from the mom and pop shop around the corner, right? And you buy a burger from McDonald's, they're not going to taste the same because just of the industrial scale of each of those burgers. Um, and it's the same way with beer. I mean, do you still call a bar is making its own beer? Mm-hmm. Would you call that craft beer or not? You know, I guess it could be. It could, yeah, it would be craft beer and maybe also a microbrew. Okay, all right, so. Okay, and, so, if, and the draft is just if they if they have it uh, tapped to a keg. Okay. So draft just means that they they tapped the the fermenting vessel or the keg they moved the fermenting product to, mm-hmm. and they can have a, a CO two system mm-hmm. um, that pumps the bubbles oh, into that beer, okay. and then it's it's just fresher that way. Okay. Versus when you like just moving it from container to container offers more chances for the beer to uh, acquire unsavory characteristics. Okay. So if you move it as few times as possible, it's better. And that's a lot. That's part of the reason why people say that draft beer is always better. Uh, yeah, I'll be totally honest. Like, I mean, I, I like to think I'm sterile when I do my, my science, <laughs> but I'm probably even more sterile when I do my home brewing. When you're at home, you have your germs. You have the germs of the thing you cooked <laughs> last night. You have your you have the dog and cat germs. Uh, like, my girlfriend likes to open the windows. And, like, I can get wild yeast from the flowers outside. So right. I have to disinfect everything. I have to – I set the temperature of my apartment ahead of time. Um, I buy distilled water from the store. I have it lined up in gallons. And, yeah, it's probably the cleanest my apartment ever is on brew day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let, let us um, uh, deviate here and first talk about your interest in microbiology. How is it that you got interested in microbiology or, or virology for that matter? Yeah. Actually, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I started my uh, undergrad, and I just got a phone call saying your name came across my table, and we think that you'll you would enjoy and be good at research, and so I started doing that, and that's when I discovered I really enjoy working in a lab. So the idea that there's this this non living or non free organism that causes so many problems in the world and has such complex biology attracted me to study. Uh, why the, this, yeah, the sophisticated nature of these systems. So a microbrew right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So virus does brewing of its own, huh? Yep, yep, brews <laughs> its own its own batches. Right. Very, very small batches. All right. Um so what what virus are you working with right now? Yeah, so here at uh, UIC, I am working with herpes. So herpes simplex one. Wait, 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 wait. So you're saying you work with herpes and you brew your beer. Is that right? Yes. Um, Can you get herpes by drinking it? No, no. Fortunately, you cannot contract herpes by drinking beer or from touching an object that uh, someone with herpes has touched. I think I'll be okay in the lab, and I think <laughs> those who enjoy my beers will also be okay. No, otherwise, you can just call it Herpes Brew or something. <laughs> I don't know. Come here, please get some herpes by drinking my beer. <laughs> so now that we know that you have great interest in microbiology and virology, did any of these factors influence you into beer brewing? Yeah. So after I learned more and more about uh, microbes and kind of their importance for society, I started understanding that a very large portion of all the foods we eat are are fermented in a way. So that includes like yogurts, that includes cheeses, all alcohol, like even things like, like kimchi or sauerkraut. All these things have some form of microbe associated with them. Oh yeah, I mean, even like a lot of sauces, like soy sauce okay. or uh, Tabasco sauce. 
all these things have a fermentation step to break down all these really complicated plant molecules and sugars into something that we find more tasty now, but maybe originally was just a better way to store these things, whether it was on purpose or an accident. So I think, uh, let, let me, uh, so I've been kind of reading up about uh, this particular topic, uh, just so that, you know, I'll be prepared for you when you come here. So what I found out is that uh, one of the first beer that have been brewed were apparently from Mesopotamia, that is like current Iraq, I guess. And uh, they used barley and bread, I, or I think only bread was there and it got fermented and something happened and they drank it and they were super happy after that yeah and uh, so yeah i mean i i can totally see that i'm not super familiar with mesopotamian alcohol but there's always kind of this debate of like which came first bread or beer like did we start growing crops to make beer or did we start growing crops to make bread so i mean what i kind of found out was that you know we started storing cereal first and because we started storing cereal, there was good chances of them getting infected or getting brewed or so, of some sort. You know, maybe bread was not made first. Though. What you're saying, I can see what you're saying. You know, maybe the bread wasn't made first. I know a lot of people don't think of it this way, but beer is easier to make than bread. So, <laughs> like, with beer, at least back the way it was probably being made in Mesopotamia, they didn't know what yeast was. Yeast was a thing that floated through the air and landed in the bread and made it bubble and make them happy when they drank it. <laughs> or maybe not bread, the mixture that was not yet bread. But... To make bread, you have to have a very sophisticated control of heat and uh, humidity and temperature mm. for a long period of time. You have to have an oven. Right. So you actually require less equipment to make a beer than you do bread. Though nowadays, it requires more equipment to make a good beer right. versus a good bread. So do you think that Mesopotamians preferred beer over water? I mean, in the ancient times? You know, I don't, I don't know if they were drunk all the time because, um, <laughs> and I mean, actually, I would like to say that they probably did prefer the beer just because, like, it's like the same reason why, why people prefer to drink Coke over, Coca-Cola over water. Right. It, it just tastes better to our human tongues. You probably shouldn't always drink Coca-Cola instead of water. Mm-hmm. But to them, that was kind of the, the, like, carbohydrate beverage that was really easy to consume. Right. So, and it was probably for people who could afford it to, like, at first, at least. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, the yeast wasn't as strong as it is now. Right. So they, it probably wasn't making these crazy 10% beers that we drink now. Mm. It was probably more in the range of like 2 to 3%, right. if I had to guess. Right. So I, I've read up that, you know, in the older uh, or the ancient days, the way beer was being made was, you know, they mix up barley, bread, and pour some water into it. It kind of made beer at the end of five days or three days or whatever and it apparently formed a thick crust on top of the barrel that mm-hmm. they were storing it and they actually used these straws to make a hole and they used to literally drink out of the barrel and multiple people used to just stand around it using a straw and they used to keep drinking out of the same barrel oh, at wow. the same time <laughs> that's so, pretty amazing I've never <laughs> heard that before. but yeah i guess my my personal fermenter yeah, it forms kind of this head on top. And in German, I think the word for that is the Krausen. Okay, so uh, let us get into the actual beer brewing process itself. Fortunately now, there it's, it's a cool thing to do. So like all of these supplies and ingredients are readily available to me now. But um, when, I, when I started, I was just using, uh, it was of course food grade bucket, but it was like a five gallon paint bucket <laughs> with uh, some water, some yeast, and some malts. It was a super simple process. So, uh, can you explain, like, uh, someone who's never brewed any beer in life, could you 
give me a 101 beer brewing lesson as to do's and don'ts. And yeah, yeah. So I guess just I guess the quick overall is the the things you absolutely need to make a beer. There's only there's only really four things. So you need water, you need yeast, you need malts. So that can be your barley, your wheat. Um, and you need a container to put them in that is clean and closed off to the environment. Hmm. So kind of the first step to brewing any beer is really just cleaning. So like some of my friends who brew with me, we kind of like to tell people that brewing is mostly cleaning with a <laughs> tiny bit of brewing mixed in. So you start off by cleaning everything just to get all the bacteria and yeast that you don't want around out. And um, then you use various sanitizers that are food safe to clean our equipment. But um, most brewers, we have like a big pot. So usually for uh, home batches, the sizes range from one to five gallons for a, a, any particular brewing day. Mm-hmm. So you have your five gallon pot. There's kind of two styles of home brewing that people do. So the, the easier style, which I do more often, is um, brewing from malt extracts. And then the more complicated style, which takes longer, um, takes more equipment, but actually is cheaper in the end, is um, called all-grain brewing. So the, the process of all-grain brewing will actually encompass the, the steps of malt extra brewing, so I'll kind of give you an overview of that. Okay. So when you want to brew, like, even on the industrial scale, any beer, you start off with a bunch of grains, and you have to break those down, so you'll you'll pulverize them into kind of a powder. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to take those grains and make a, the biggest batch of oatmeal you've ever made. Oh, so, okay. So you'll make this batch of oatmeal, and you have to control the temperature too, because at different temperatures, you get different flavor profiles because of solubility of various molecules inside of that toasted malt. So you're saying you, you first powder them, put them in water, and you boil them. Am I right? Or? Not quite a boil. So uh-huh. yeah, so this is where the temperature control comes uh, into play. Okay. So for some of your darker beers, you would you would heat it all the way to like 170, 180. For some of your lighter beers, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. 170 oh, Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah, 170 Fahrenheit. Okay. And then for some of your uh, your lighter beers, you might only get it to 150, 160. Uh, but what the main idea of this is that you're going to get out all those sugars. So sugar is super soluble in water. So all of that is just going to come streaming out of those grains. And the later things that are to come out is the color. So this is what gives your beer that either light color or that dark color, depending oh. on how much that malt is toasted. Mm-hmm. And then um, some of the more bitter flavors will come out at higher temperatures from the malts. Okay. Though when you drink a really bitter beer, though that's generally not from the malts, mm. but some bitterness comes from the malts. Okay. Um, and you're going to do this in a vessel called a mash tun. Okay. So that's called the mash. And then you're going to strain the mash and take out the liquid and leave behind those spent grains. So, and then you kind of rinse them off, try to get as much of it out as you can, and then you're going to take that, move that to your big pot, and then you're going to boil it, bring it up to a boil. So, um, then at this point is when you kind of start adding your flavor additions. So this step is called the boil. And for people who are not doing the all grain process, you would actually just buy these cans or bags of powdered malt extract, which is pretty much just a sugar from grains. Or you would get this can of liquid malt extract, which it has the consistency of like a high fructose corn syrup or honey Mm -hmm. and about the same level of sweetness too. And you would just dump that in and then bring that to a boil. So now just skip that other step. Mm. So the benefits of that is that it's quicker, but the drawbacks of using the extracts is that some people think that there's there's a flavor trade-off. So you're not getting as, it's kind of like buying bread from the store versus making homemade bread. Absolutely. So you would take that mixture and you'll bring it to a boil. 
And then this is kind of where people start adding the, the hops. Mm. Um, and here in America, we're really crazy about hops. And um, I guess that really actually started in India. So, oh. Yeah, really? yeah, that's where the IPA came from. They had uh, they hopped beers way uh, more. No, so the thing is, uh, let us take a small detour here. Apparently, IPA was not made in India. Oh no, really? Yeah, it was made for India by mm. the Britishers. Okay. Because the people who were in the East India Company, they wanted beer <laughs> because they were missing beer, and they were sending it all the way from UK to India, and they were making special brews of it. So apparently. Uh, the IPA is actually not Indian at all. Oh, yeah. And so I want to take. I also also want to take time to tell that I think although in Mesopotamia they had first brewed the first beer, hops were actually added by the Bavarians. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so can you briefly explain what hops are and what is their role in beer brewing? Yeah. So a hop is pretty much a flower. So, oh, so like a flavor thing. Yeah, just for flavors. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like you would use a, a chamomile flower for tea. You're mm-hmm. using a, a hops flower for beer. So they kind of, they grow in on, it's a green flower on a green plant. Then wow. it can grow in kind of a vine sort of way. So they, when they grow these plants, they're on stakes and they can get up to like 30 feet tall. Really, really big uh, plants. Okay. So they harvest these flowers and they just throw them into the boil. Okay. And for a lot of home brewers, even on the industrial scale now, it's popular for to people to grow these in like an industrial scale, large agricultural oh. operation, and then um, dry them out and pack them into pellets. And then you just weigh out the pellets and it will kind of boil a little easier actually because it's dry. The flowers have a tendency to float in the beer and the pellets will actually disperse more oh. and then float, of course, later. Mm-hmm. But um, some people think that gives you a better incorporation by drying them out. Mm-hmm. But there's also the purists who want their beer to be as close to kind of natural okay. as possible. So, so they just put the flowers into it. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I have friends that will actually have a garden. They'll walk out. They'll pick their hops out of the garden. Oh. Same way you'll pick cilantro herbs, yeah, cilantro, right. and then they'll throw it right into the pot. Right. So just like it's, it, it is cooking. So, so do you clean that before you put it in? No, no. So that's the beautiful thing about the boil is uh, that. Oh, yeah, it's boiling. Yeah, it's boiling. Right. So it'll kill everything. Right. Because of the boiling process, a lot of harmful bacteria was killed and beer was better for people to drink <laughs> <laughs> rather than drinking water itself. Yeah, yeah, that, that was probably it. So, yeah, they were, we were ultra-pasteurizing things <laughs> before people even knew what pasteurization was. Right. So, okay, so coming to the next step, once you add the hops, what do you do then? Yeah, so you're going to add the hops. So a boil usually takes 30 minutes to one hour, mm-hmm. depending on how you want to flavor the beer. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have your hops additions. Mm-hmm. When you want to add a bittering hop, you'll add it in really early on in the boil and let it boil for 30 to f- minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. And that's going to bring out bitter flavors because the way that the flowers are biologically, like structurally, is they have these trichomes, which are little spikes that come out the undersides of the leaves, like other plants. A lot of plants have these. And in a trichome is where a lot of oils are stored and resins. Right. So that's why you have to boil them to get the flavors out. Right. So you have to melt down that resin and get it kind of incorporated into the rest of the liquid. Mm-hmm. And that's why it takes so long. And then there is the addition of flavoring hops. So a lot of times flavoring hops will give you a floral mm-hmm. or citrus notes. Right. And you add these in towards the end. So they might only boil for one minute to 15 oh. minutes. Mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of like when you're cooking with herbs, you don't add the herbs in right at the beginning. 
because they're going to boil in the mush by the end. Right. So it's kind of the same idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, so you, you, you take a filter and take them off once 15 minutes is over or? No, no, no. Okay. So there is, in a way, a filtering process. Some people like their beer filtered. Some people like their beer unfiltered. Um, but at this point, you just have your, we have the sugary liquid mm-hmm. from the malts and we have, uh, sorry, the hops right. added. And that's really all beer is at this point. So then you're going to bring down the temperature of that liquid as fast as you can. And that's one of the hardest parts of brewing is getting a large, hot body of water Hmm. to become a cool body of water very quickly before any bacteria from the air or yeast from the air can land in it. Right. So that's one of the biggest challenges. There actually is this really, really interesting device called a wort chiller. I should have have mentioned that earlier. So this mixture that you're boiling is called the wort. Okay. So you take your wort and you want to cool it down because if you throw your yeast in hot wort, your yeast is all going to die. So you're going to then cool that down and there's something called a wort chiller. And what it is, it's a big copper coil that you can, because copper is really good at exchanging heat. And you'll run cool water through the coil and it'll pour hot water out the other side of the coil. Absolutely. And it'll bring you the temperature down in something like 15 minutes as opposed to like I, a lot of times I brew in the winter before I uh, could afford a wort chiller, I would actually just take my, my pot and, and I would stick it in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that, that's actually the most natural way of doing it because uh, I think that's what they would have done, right? Right, right. Yeah, so in a lot of the European countries that are known for their brews, so like Germany, Belgium, uh, Czech, they had caves. Mm. Um and the caves were kind of the same temperature year-round, nice and cool. Mm. And they would actually just leave the beers in caves to ferment. Right. Um, room temperature. So at this point, you would then pitch your yeast. Mm-hmm. And all that means is that you're going to add the yeast to the mixture, and then you're going to seal it off, and then you're going to let that ferment. Okay, and so that's yeast, really you, you can just buy it out, I think, even in supermarkets here, right? I think. Um. So yeah, there's actually different kinds of yeast. So... While they all are considered the same species biologically, the yeast you use for brewing is actually less robust than the yeast you use for bread making. Originally, at one point, they were the same yeast, but through a lot of breeding and selection, we've selected for yeasts with different properties for brewing. Generally, most of the styles of beer you brew are going to be ales, so this includes your IPA, pale ale, stouts, porters... And um, these have the ability to ferment at a steady rate, and they'll only ferment to like a max of 12% alcohol, right. and that's that's a pretty high alcoholic beer. Mm. Um, and they have a, a flocculation property, and they can remain suspended. Oh, but yeah. when they oh. die, they'll and there's no or they uh, run out of food, they'll settle to the bottom, and they ferment really well around what we consider room temperature now. Mm. So that is kind of that is one of the yeast we use for brewing. The other is the lagering yeast, and it, it brews uh, your your blood-like kind of beer, um, your different lagers. I mean, it's a lagering yeast, but it's, it brews the lager styles, pilsner styles, and um, even some of the German styles. So so this is where actually, I mean, this is the exact same thing that I wanted to talk about. Lager versus ale. Lager mm-hmm. apparently, apparently uses this uh, yeast which is better off to grow in like super cold temperatures <clears throat> and gives you a much lighter taste to it. While ales use yeast that actually grows better off at room temperatures. So 
apparently the germans were the first ones to come come out with uh, anything with respect to lager styles and i think united states was also introduced to lager only uh, when mm-hmm. the germans came in and they settled in the east i guess yeah here in america while the first brew or the first actually alcoholic beverages available here in america were uh, ciders and wines and spirits hmm um, the most popular alcoholic beverage now is your your light lager. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting you bring up that the Germans brought over the lager and yeast. Right. So, how long do you leave the yeast and everything together? So, generally, uh, the quick answer is a couple of weeks. So, two weeks to four weeks. Wait, how much of yeast do you add? I mean, do you have... Um, do you measure something and you add? Or yeah. <laughs> how do you add it? I mean, how, so do, the yeast will how do you get it and how do you add it? So it's kind of like a, so the way you get yeast the very first time is you buy it from a company. Um, my favorite yeast company is Y Yeast, okay. but there's a couple other companies that come out with good yeasts. Um, and it'll either, it'll come into one of two forms. It'll come as a liquid. So it'll be yeast with, uh, different nutrients the yeast needs. It'll be refrigerated. It'll come in like a vial or a little bag mm. and then you dump it in. Mm-hmm. And the other form is dry yeast, a lot like making bread. It'll be like this dry kind of activated beer oh, yeast. Okay. Yeah, it'll, be, like, it'll actually be pellets, tiny, oh. tiny pellets. Right. Pellets. So you measure them in a measuring cylinder or you weigh them or what do you do? So with the pellets, generally you just uh, dump them in and you don't really count it, but you want it to be a lot. Okay. So uh, the more yeast you have at first, the better your fermentation will go. Because mm. um, the yeast will actually outcompete everything else in there and give you a cleaner finish if you have more to go begin with. But when you get the vials, which are usually more expensive, actually, um, they'll tell you that there's about 2 billion yeast cells. Wow. And this is for a five-gallon batch. Mm. And then they're going to multiply, so um, you're going to have just trillions of yeast cells by the end of the brew, <laughs> most of which are going to be dead. Right. But, um, yeah, it's quite a few cells. Mm. So then after that, though, you can actually harvest the yeast and use it again over and over, which is what people have been doing for millennia. Right. So... I'm going to ask you like a super silly question right now. Okay? All right. So, uh, so whenever you're outside or, you know, you hold on to a door knob or you're in a dirty place, you first thing you do is take out your uh, alcohol wipe and wipe off your hands to get rid of the bacteria or whatever. Would the alcohol prepared by yeast kill it? So, yeah, it's a yes and a no. <laughs> so, there are, the most bacteria are find the fermenting environment to be very hostile. Generally, yeast create the alcohol, which is hostile to most microbes, and they also create lots of compounds that are actually still unknown to us that have antibiotic properties. Wow. So yeah, they're generating their own antibiotics as a way of fighting off um, competitors for their food source, which is your your the sugars you put in your beer. Nice. And um, I think another reason why yeah. they drank beer <laughs> as opposed to water. Yeah, because the beer the, the the yeast was taking care of people. So hmm. it was keeping their, their food sources clean. Beer saved the world. <laughs> yeah, beer saved the world. <laughs> cool. So, I mean, before we get on to the last part, I wanted to ask you about this super interesting paper that came out. All right, right. So now we're in the topic of yeast. <clears throat> so I thought, let us bring that up. Could you briefly tell us an abstract of the paper? Yeah. So there was a paper recently that came out in Cell this year. And it's they were really just characterizing the known strains of... Um, of brewing yeast, which is Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Mm-hmm. So they took yeast from different parts of the world that are known. And I don't think they took yeast from every single 
possible place. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did take a significant number of commercially used um, yeast strains. Mm. And these strains came from, uh, like, America now has its own strain, uh, European strains, Japanese strain, and they did a, a SNP, or a single nucleotide polymorphism uh, analysis, by and sequenced out all the SNPs of all these different yeast strains, hmm. and compared them genetically to see how similar are all these yeasts. And kind of what they found was that there's evidence that we've actually bred yeast in the same way that we've bred other organisms that have been domesticated, <clears throat> such as dogs or cattle. Right. And they have their own uses now. So, like, the Japanese strain of yeast makes good sake. Ah. And the European yeasts are kind of your, your ale yeast and your lagering yeasts. And I think but, the same way, like, you know, uh, the Dobermans and the Alsatians have, like, running fast or run right, quick, right. accelerate fast and catch on to something. While, I guess, uh, the hounds are for, like, long distance running. So, I think each of them have their own. And the bloodhounds are for, like, uh, smelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. And even, like, retrievers, they have dry mouths for right. retrieving, that kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> so the yeasts are, are kind of man's second best friend. Wow. So, um, they also found that there's there's evidence that they have the same adaptations that other domesticated life forms have. And what this means is that they don't have the ability to survive in the wild anymore. They are co-dependent with uh, humans. <laughs> oh, so okay. they need us to keep propagating them to stay alive. And um, we need them to make beer. So it's kind of become this symbiosis on a really grand uh, scale. Right. So the other thing is that they've lost the ability to sexually reproduce. Wow. So when they mutate, they are mutating very slowly now. Or mm. I mean, slowly relative to what you can achieve through sexual reproduction. Right. And they think that this has implications for future yeast breeding mm-hmm. to create new styles and to actually, um, now that we know what is the principles that led to the strains we have now, mm-hmm. what do we need to do to get the next strains to make those next beverages for and uh, condiments for the world mm-hmm. faster now that we understand the process of uh, this this evolution of yeast. Right. I'm actually out of words here because I would have really wanted a, a strain of Indian yeast to be present on that study. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there is one, right? Right, right. Yeah, right. I was wondering about that myself. Right, and I, I think there's a Chinese strain also that they tested out. Yeah, 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 I think there was. Yeah, there was a Chinese yeast. Right, there was Chinese yeast. Nothing from the African continent, I guess. No, yeah, there wasn't yeah. really much from the African continent. So weird, because, I mean, Egyptians were also one of the first to come out with some or the other form of alcohol. And wherever there is alcohol, there should have been yeast. Mm-hmm. And did you know that the Aztec Americans, or the, initial, the native, they were not introduced to alcohol by the colonizers they already were brewing their own beer or whatever similar stuff even before the colonizers came here that's amazing yeah, yeah i didn't know that so, and every so the one of the regions reasons why you know a lot of these the colonizers used to call these guys savages because when these guys came over they used to buy most of their land by giving them beer uh-huh. or some of the other form of alcohol because they were so i think they were slightly more primitive in their beer making things before egyptian i mean sorry the colonizers came but then once they came and they were introduced to this same thing that they were drinking but of a higher quality they just went mad and you know and every time they needed a uh, some form of agreement or they had to talk about land issues and whatever the first thing they would ask is bring us alcohol then we'll talk <laughs> and 
apparently Benjamin Frank- Franklin. I mean, he was one of these amazing guys who had made most of these talks to make sure there is no more war between uh, the natives and the uh, whatever the colonizers. Well, he he made sure that in the in the in the sessions where they were sitting down and discussing stuff, there was no alcohol present. So he, he kind of told them that I will not give you alcohol while we are having the discussion, but I'll give you the double double the amount once we are done with it. <laughs> So the, earlier they would they wouldn't even listen to you. They would just say, "If I have to sit in that room, I need alcohol." So uh, it was it was, and I think one of the reasons why uh, colonizers were able to like colonize here just by giving them empty amounts of uh, beer to them and keeping them happy. I guess. Oh wow, damn! I didn't know that. That's really interesting. <laughs> that mean, yeah, it makes sense. So yeah, everybody, every culture enjoys alcohol to the extent where there's conflict over it. And that is the same case with. India also. I mean, because I mean, although right now there's a huge uh, hypocrisy, I can say. You know, a lot of people do drink, and a lot of people say, "Oh, no, no." Okay, I, I do understand that drinking too much is bad, and that kind of culture is almost present everywhere, and is being taught by every religion and every sect of humankind right now. But then, uh, I somehow think Indians should embrace their alcohol history also. Because otherwise we'll, we'll we'll completely lose track of what because the current major producer of beer in India is actually this guy called uh, Kingfisher, and they make their beer in India. Mm-hmm. One of the most popular brands. There are multiple other ones also. All of them coming down to the same company, anyways. And as far as I know, they got their yeast from the Britishers when they left, or one of them came off from a pale ale or something like that. And I really don't know what happened to that strain at all. I mean, what happened to the initial? Because Indus Valley civilization was among one of the civilizations which was producing alcohol the same way Mesopotamia was doing or anything else was doing. This is somewhere around 3,700 to 3,900 BC. Mm-hmm. So approximately at that time, I guess almost everywhere in the world, they started brewing. Because China was slightly ahead. They did something around 6,900 to 7,000 BC. Almost two millennia before everyone else. But then... You never know, right? I mean, right. we'll never know right. what happened to that strain at all. I would really want someone to actually do that study. Yeah, it would be interesting. Or at least maybe there's a text somewhere that uh, has it recorded. Right. So I think it would be a very interesting scholarly pursuit to kind of resurrect the, the Indian uh, brewing and fermenting culture. Right. And even other countries that have fermenting cultures. So some of the Middle East, their oh, yeah. religion uh, forbids alcohol. That's true. But it wasn't always like that. Mm-hmm. So, they somehow started. They they went off into tobacco. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just went from drinking into tobacco. And yeah, there's, there's even interesting beverages that combine brewing with other um, substances. Like uh, you mentioned, Benjamin Franklin. Right. He actually was a big fan of uh, coca spirits hmm. before before they were um, illegal in the United States. Oh. So he, it's interesting to think that most of it, a lot of his inventions, a lot of his achievements, he was he was uh, high on coca spirits while he was doing his inventing. So it really it really seemed to have uh, jump started his creativity. Right. So thank you very much for the entire session. I yeah, think we you. learned a lot about beer brewing, history of beer, different techniques that you can use, and I guess we also have a to do list which I'll put in the show notes. I guess how to make your own beer. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, and uh, so. How can people find you? How can people meet you if they want your beer? <laughs> Is there a way they can uh, contact yeah, you yeah. in some sort? So I'm I'm pretty uh, easy to contact through email. Mm-hmm. So my email is josh.ames01 mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Right. Um, 
and yeah, I'm happy to communicate about my my personal hobbies and my experience with it, or even just just whatever interesting things we want to talk about. So I know, right? So um, before we close, you know, let us close on a note that is there a way we could <laughs> make a virus based beer or something mm-hmm. like that? Is that even possible? <laughs> virus based beer? You know, rather than so, them going into you know living tissue or whatever, if they can feed off on uh, barley or something and give out alcohol, wouldn't that be much? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, I bet it's possible. Just have to add in a couple genes because th- there are definitely plant viruses, right? Definitely. So, and you make most of the cereals out of plants or some part of plants, and maybe there should be some way they. I think you know what? I think you'd have to infect yeast, so yeah. you can have oh. a, a yeast virus mm. that uh, manipulates yeast to do something else. Right. Though I do have a feeling that so unhealthy yeast generally create weird tasting beers. <laughs> so you're going to have flavors no one has ever experienced before, for better or for worse. <laughs> All right, then. Thanks, Josh. Yep. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Colgate, Close Up, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Samsung Electronics, Ambani, Tata, no, no, this was all just me. Um, So please like and subscribe so that I can make more. Thank you for your support. Bye.